All right, teachers, good luck back there. God bless those dear saints, eh? <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Good stuff. Sweet. Yeah, if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 13. And uh, we're going to just keep cruising along in our series. And John here and come to a great section of Scripture. And actually, I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. Let's read the text this morning, okay? You'd stand with me. John chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 20. It says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should also, that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one sent me. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, your word, Lord, is true bread. It's true food. It's true spiritual food. So, Father, we thank you for that which we are about to receive. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless the teaching of your word, Lord. I pray that, that we'd be nourished as we feast on you, Jesus, and your word. And pray these things in your name. Amen. Right on. Great story, eh? Boy, I, I, this is why you, the Gospels are so fun to teach because you just move from great story to great story. And it's wonderful to come to, to this part of John's Gospel. We've, we've hit the part where we, you know, it's been like bird's eye, bird's eye, bird's eye, flying above. And now we've zoomed right down. We're into just, you know, not that many hours before the cross, the night 
this, this very night that Jesus is going to be arrested, he's uh, alone with the 12. They've removed themselves from the crowd. They found a secret place where they can share the Passover together and where they won't be, uh, uh, or share dinner together before the Passover and, and be prepared to uh, get away from the crowds and be alone together. And so we read this. Now it says, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's really interesting as, we read this, John continues to tell us as the Holy Spirit leads him to write the things that Jesus knew that he was functioning with. Omniscience. He knew everything that was going on. He, the Father had revealed to him and he knew that his hour had come. He was on the Father's timetable. And he was going to follow the Father's will. The hour had come upon him when it was Passover and the sacrificial lambs were going to be slain and their blood shed. And that was the hour and that was the time when he would be glorified by his own death. Uh, his own sacrificial death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And you know when you look at the story of Christ's passion. We, we know this that from, from the human point of view it's like all suffering. From heaven's point of view it's all glory. It's all the Father's timetable, and he knew the hour was upon him. Soon he would, he would leave this world, and he would return to the glory he had laid aside before he had come as Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. He would take his rightful place at the right hand of the majesty in heaven beside his Father. The English translation is actually interesting here. It says that, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, but that's not what John said. John actually said this, he would pass over to the Father. That's what the original language actually expresses. That he would pass over to the Father. It was the feast of Passover, the fullness of time. His hour had come. He'd finished the work for which he came. And when he had finished the work, just like you at the end of your day of work, he's going to return home. He's going to return to his Father And so John tells us, Jesus knew that the hour had come. Now in the midst of this, you know, John's accounts are so interesting because there's other stuff going on. I mean, you flip to the other Gospels and and you read the insanity that was going on because in the background of this whole thing as they're reclining at the table and, and hanging out, the disciples are quietly bickering amongst themselves, fighting, uh, like children bickering in the backseat of the car. You ever had that happen in your vehicle? No, that's probably just my vehicle. But like children in the backseat of the car and they're arguing with one another over who is the greatest and they thought that it was out of earshot of Jesus. Just like, you know, sometimes kids do. They think they're out of earshot and then as a parent you hear it. But Jesus knew. He knew what the conversation was that was happening around the table quietly And he looked at them, and John tells us that he loved them. That he loved them to the end. This ragtag motley crew, different backgrounds, different personalities, different characters, similar to this group here today. And he loved them. They were his own. 
They belonged to him. That's what the scripture tells us here. That they belonged to him and he loved them to the end. That means this, that there was no limit to his love. That there was no limit to his love for, him, for them. No boundary to his love. No border, no threshold, no confine, no margin with regards to his love for them. That's incredible to me to think about that. Paul, when he wrote the Ephesians, he spoke of this love of God and he said this. He said, I, I pray that you may have strength to comprehend it. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's incredible. Like to hear that the love of God surpasses knowledge. What is this love, I wonder, when, I say, when it says he loved them to the end. That is a love that has no limit. It is a love that has no boundary. It surpasses knowledge. It requires strength to comprehend it. Like, I mean, if you stop and think about that, what Paul tells us and what we read here about being loved to the end, you realize this, that you actually need strength from God to bear his love for you. Is that amazing to stop and think about that? Your frame cannot handle his love. He has to strengthen you so that you can even comprehend it because his love surpasses knowledge. You can't bear it unless he gives you the ability to bear it. You're not strong enough to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And it tells us here, John tells us that he looked at these 12 and he loved them to the end without limits. And that's his love for us. Same heart, with the same heart, Jesus looks on you. He loves you to the end, without limit. And I think about the 12, he knew their faults. James and John, the sons of thunder. Got some anger issues going on there. Need a little bit of counseling and all sorts of things. Now these guys wanted to call down thunder and kill people when they didn't respond to the, respond to the message of the gospel. Or you got guys like, you know, Philip, who when he first heard of Jesus, questioned, Jesus of Nazareth, can anything com good come from Nazareth? And Jesus could handle their anger. Jesus could handle their questioning. Jesus could handle their doubts. He knew, he knew where these men stumbled. He loved them to the end. He knew their faults. And he knew where they would stumble in the days ahead. Peter. He's going to talk about this. Peter, you're, you're going to deny me. He, he knew about it. He knew in the moment they were bickering and fighting amongst themselves right there while he's loving them to the end. He knew that they were arguing about who was the greatest. He knew that none of them was actually willing to get down and serve one another. And he loved them. And I, I take heart in that because that means this, that God loves you. And he loves me, past and present and future. He, he knows what he got into when he put his hand on you. You know that? The Lord knew what he was getting into when he got into your life. And he loves you without limits. Jesus loves you without limits. And in the midst of it all, the devil's right at work in their midst. 
And yet the love of Christ could not be quenched by the enemy's work, right? In, in the midst of his people. Because God's love can't be suffocated by evil. During supper, the devil was at work. Look what it says, verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. I mean, the devil was at work in their midst. He, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that the devil had put it into the heart of Judas to betray him and that that evening would be the very opportunity where Judas would go out and, and betray Jesus into the hands of the authorities and he would be arrested and crucified. Jesus knew. He knew it. And Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. You know, in not too many hours, Pilate, he's going to stand before Pilate and Pilate will say to him, do you not know that I have the authority to set you free or to crucify you? And Jesus would answer him and say, you, you have no authority over me unless it's been given to you from above. It wasn't arrogance. Jesus was letting it be known that he was willing, that he knew the Father's plan, that his actions were obedient and they were voluntary and he was not an unwilling victim. The Father had given all things into his hands. John says he knew where he had come from. He knew where he'd come from and he knew where he was going. He knew how he was going to die. He knew he was going back to God. He was master over everything. You know, I think about our lives. I'm like, I don't know the details of my life. You know, this, what's gonna happen tomorrow and what's gonna happen this afternoon. Oh, I know what's gonna happen this afternoon. We're going into the city. We're gonna wait at the ferry and that's gonna be really annoying. And no, but you know, you think about your life. You don't know so many of the details about your life. So much of it is like out of your control. You don't know when your day will come and when you'll go to be with the Lord. You don't know what will happen here or there or what will ha happen over here. But if you, know that, if you know Jesus, if you know that you've been born again, then you know where you come from. And if you know Jesus and you've been born again, you know where you're going. You know where you're going. And we know that, that in Christ, the word of God tells us that in, in him we have all we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who so loved us. I mean, we don't know the details, but we know where we come from and we know where we're going and we know in G Jesus is enough. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. He was conscious of his power. He was conscious of his origin. He was conscious of his destination. He knew what belonged to him. He knew who belonged to him. He was conscious of who would betray him. He knew that the hour had come. And I read that and I think, man, you know, there's like no limit to his power. Not only omniscient, but omnipotent, all-powerful. 
No limit to his power, but Jesus was not corrupted by his limited, limitless power because of this. He also possessed limitless love. You know, human beings acquire power and it brings out the worst in us. They say, you know, all, all we got to do is look at, you know, people in power, <laughs> governments and such. And there's that famous line, of course, that, that, that power uh, corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In Jesus, there was absolute power. In Jesus, there was absolute love and the love of God and the power of God in Jesus are perfectly blended for the perfect combination. Because if it's just love and there's no power, then he had nothing to offer. He could just, you know, sympathize with us in our sin. If he just had power and no love, then he would be selfish like we're prone to become. Jesus is power and love in the perfect combination without limits. Unlimited power and unlimited love. It says again, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Paul said this in Philippians 2.6 that the Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. But he took the form of a servant. And verse 5 tells us, then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The father put all things into his hands and you know what he did with his hands? He picked up a wash basin and a towel. The hands that are without power, with, without limit to their, their power he, he humbled himself. And the thing about the, the humility of Jesus is this, is that it's, it was not born out of poverty. It came from his riches. He was rich and he became poor. He was God, yet he wrapped himself in a towel and he shared in our humanity. You know, in, in eternity, the scripture says that we'll call Jesus Jehovah said, can you, the Lord, our righteousness? And and the scripture tells us that he is wrapped in a robe of righteousness. And this is this picture here that, that though he was wrapped in the robe of righteousness, he wrapped himself in the towel of humanity and he was still yet righteous without sin, without imperfection, without sin. And then it says that he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. I, I love the picture of water because in, in the word of God, water is a picture of the word of God. Jesus will go on to tell these guys later this night in John chapter uh, 15 verse 3, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. He says the word is a cleansing agent. We see it in Ephesians chapter 5 that we, we're to be washed 
by the water of the word of God. And so here's Jesus. He, he gets up from the table. He, he wraps himself in the towel of humanity and yet he is righteous. He pours out the word upon us and he tells us who God is and he became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now the act of foot washing is, well, according to their customs, was the act of a slave. You know, guests would come for dinner. Dinner party would be planned. They'd travel through, you know, the dust and the dirt in their sandals. And it was customary that when you arrived at the home of your host and the, the table was set for dinner, there would also be by the door a, a basin of water and a towel and as guests arrived, if the home had slaves, then guess who got the job of removing the sandals of the guests and washing their feet? The slave, stationed at the door. That's why John the Baptist actually painted this picture. He said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He's saying, I'm, I'm not worthy of the most menial tasks of the kingdom. And that night that we read about here, this night, the disciples had come secretly. This was the night Jesus wanted to be alone by himself with the 12. No one knew where they were. There were no slaves at the door. It was just Jesus and the 12. And they came into dinner, and I'm sure they looked around. Man, my feet stink. You ever come home and kick off your shoes, and you're like, whoo. That's just uh, my sons that happens to No. You come home and, and, and you, you smell your own feet and you're like, whoo, I got to deal with that. Well, these guys had come to dinner and there was no one around to wash the feet. Nobody was there. So they left their sandals on and they reclined at the, at the table, smelly feet and all. Peter wasn't about to wash anybody's feet. John wasn't about to wash anyone's feet. Neither was Andrew, neither was Philip. I mean, go down the list. They were not about to wash one another's feet. In fact, I would say this, it never crossed their mind. I, I, I would tell you this, it's never crossed my mind to wash the foot of anyone who's come through the door of my house. And they came to dinner and I'm sure they looked around. Well, someone should do it. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? I mean, it's pretty normal, you know, pretty, just pretty normal dinner, yet something happened that evening that was supernatural. No miracle, though. You know, which is interesting, no miracle happened. This was like really an ordinary, daily thing that should happen. You know, that strikes me, because we always think that, oh, well, look, I need to function in the miraculous to be used by God. Oh, we need God to do miracles so that we could see his work. But there was nothing miraculous that happened this night. It was just like, just ordinary. God was at work in the ordinary, in humility. And, you know, we believe in miracles. I mean, I want to see miracles. And when miracles happen, it's like, it's awesome. But the truth is this. God may not call you or I to work in the realm of miracles. But he does call us to work in the realm of the ordinary. In humility. And, and I think as 
those who are maturing in Christ, it's important that we're not so busy looking around for the miraculous that we don't learn to function in the ordinary for Jesus. And humility turns the ordinary into opportunities for God to work. You know, I think about the disciples. Think about, imagine everything that they saw. Like all the things that they saw Jesus do, three years they spent with him. They saw him raise the dead. They saw the lame walk. They saw demons cast out. They saw him walk on water. They saw him multiply food and feed the multitudes. I, I, I mean, these guys saw and experienced everything Jesus did. But I want to tell you this. I don't think anything left a mark on their lives like Jesus washing their feet. All the miraculous paled in comparison to the humility of the ordinary act of him washing their feet. You know, before he was crucified, they flogged him. The scripture tells us that. That they stripped him. They stripped him to humiliate him. They, they, they believed that by stripping him and flogging him, they could inflict upon him maximum pain. Expose the skin, expose the man, expose the flesh. The flogging, flogging was actually more about humiliation than was about pain. It was about making sure the man was humiliated. They didn't know though, those Roman soldiers didn't know this. They didn't know that Jesus had already stripped himself. That he had humbled himself long before they got their hands on him. That he took off his robe and he dressed like a slave before the 12 and he took that towel and wrapped it around his waist. He did it first. And I think about humility and humiliation, they're, they're different. I don't want to be humiliated. To me, that's something that happens against my will, but humility is something that's positive. It's, it's having the right view of yourself before God to, to say, God, I recognize who you are and I'm getting a clearer picture of who I am. I humble myself before you. And you know, I, I, I can understand that. I, I just say, as I, as I was thinking about this, you know, as I read this story, I can understand that. I can understand doing this before God. I can understand humbling myself before God. Coming before him in humility. His word tells us if we don't come like a child, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. We know this. We have to humble ourselves before God. But let me tell you what's uncomfortable You know what's uncomfortable? When the Lord humbles himself before us. Because that's not right. You know, like in all my flesh, it's not right. It's not right that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should kneel before you or I. I, I, I can totally comprehend kneeling before him and humbling myself before him but to even imagine the thought of him kneeling before me or before us is very uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable to talk about it I'm serious 
I'm like, tre I'm tremoring inside actually. It's not right, you know. It's not how it's supposed to be. I, I'm supposed to kneel before him. He's the Lord. What am I? Who am I? Who are you? He's the Lord of glory. And he knelt before the 12th. And he washed their feet. And I think, what kind of love is this? What kind of power is this? This is love that has no limits. This is power that knows no boundaries. Who can bear the weight of this love? It surpasses knowledge. That the Lord of glory would do that before his disciples. Aren't we supposed to bow before him? Look, Simon Peter got this. Look at verse six. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. You know, so often Jesus does things I don't understand. You find that in your life? <laughs> He's doing things I don't understand. I don't understand this, Lord. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand why... This is happening in my family. I don't understand why this is going on in my workplace. I don't understand why you're calling me to this. I don't understand what you're doing in this world. And the Lord says this, like he says to Peter, I know you don't understand. I know you don't understand. But trust me. Let me work. Let me wash you. Afterwards, you will understand. It's the same theme that we've seen all throughout John's gospel that, that revelation comes as we obey Jesus. That understanding comes after. And Peter said this to me. He said, no, no, Lord, this isn't how it's supposed to be. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't wash my feet. And when I think about Peter saying this, it's like, you know that in his heart he's condemning himself. You know that in his heart, I, 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 I'm sure he's thinking, I don't know why I didn't grab the wash basin. I should have grabbed the towel. I should be washing Jesus' feet. I can't believe I've put myself into this situation. How did I get here? I don't understand how I got here. I'm supposed to be serving him and he's on his knees in front of me to serve me. And in the condemnation and pride of his own heart, Peter said to him, you, you'll never wash my feet. I, I, I think about the room, I, I don't think Peter was first up. I, I don't know how they were positioned around the table, you know, Last Supper, you know, the painting. But I imagine Jesus was hitting other disciples, washing their feet before he came to Peter, and Peter had been watching, and when Jesus got to him, he said, Jesus, I know you did that for other guys, but not me, Lord. You, you gotta treat me differently. Lord, I wanna be treated differently. You won't wash my feet. And you know, it's funny, human beings, that we're like this, aren't we? 
Like Peter is so much a picture of you and I. No, no, Lord, you could do that for other people, but not me. Not me, Lord. I'm not worthy, Lord. Peter was too proud to serve, and he was too proud to be served. Too proud to serve and too proud to be served. And Jesus said to him, if I don't wash you, you have no share of me. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know, here's Jesus. He's, the, he's limitless love, limitless power. And he says to Peter, look it, my power, you know, essentially, my power is without limit and my love is without limit, but if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. You can have no share with me. We can't be friends. We can't go further, Peter, unless I wash you. And you know, so often the Christian faith, the message of Christianity gets turned into this, like what we can do for God. And what makes us followers of Jesus is actually not anything that we've done for God. It's all about what God has done for us. What he does for us. And Jesus says the same thing to you that he says to Peter. We can't go any further. We can't go any further unless I wash you. You can't have any share in me unless I I, I wash you. Unless you let me clean up your life, there's no going further. I want to walk with you. I want to move forward in relationship, but, but it has to begin here. I have to wash you. And unless I wash you, Peter... We can't go any further. And, and, and you gotta love Peter. Peter just like, he's like the pendulum. Whoop! He swings her as hard as he can swing it, which is often the sign of immaturity. He says, Lord, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says to him, verse 10, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Peter, you don't need a bath. I don't need to wash your head and your hands. You're already clean. It's just your feet that need washing. You know, the Lord's given us this ordinance in the church, baptism, right? It's a picture of salvation that we are dead in sin. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised to life. We enter into the waters of baptism. It like pictures the cleansing nature of the power of Christ's blood that we've been washed white as snow and cleansed from sin and its filth. And we've been given this ordinance, this practice within the church to illustrate the the principle of being cleansed by the Lord and coming to life. When you're baptized, you're washed in water, fully immersed, All your sins are washed away. That's the picture. And you're raised to life in Christ Jesus. And guess what? You don't like get baptized every day. Aren't you glad that we don't have to like meet in January every single morning? Every one of us down at the beach. Okay, you're up next. Woo. And go into the water every day. No, you get baptized once. You're clean in Christ. But when you walk around in this world, this is a dusty, dirty world. When you walk 
In the dust and the dirt of this world, you get its filth and its grime and its dust on you. And you don't, you don't need to be fully immersed. You just need your feet cleaned. You need Jesus to wash away the dirt. You need Jesus to rinse off that which you've picked up. Jesus has washed you. And he wants to keep you clean. And we need, as followers of Jesus, we need this practice in our life, the practice of confession. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The practice of confession where we say, Lord, wash me again. My feet have got dirty, Lord. I, I treaded over here. I went over here, Lord. I, I you know, confession... Do you know that confession is never promising not to do it again? You know that's not what confession is? Confession is this. Confession is agreeing with God what he says about sin. Con confession is saying, Father, your word is right. You said that's sin and I agree with you. It's sin. And I confess it to you and I ask you to have grace and mercy upon me and to forgive me and to wash me and lead me to victory, Lord. It's not, it's not promising I'm never going to do this again. How does that work for you? I just know in my own life, it doesn't work very well. I need Jesus to lead us to victory. Confession is agreeing with him about what he says in regards to sin. And it's interesting that as they sat there that night, Jesus said this, there's someone here who's not clean. He knew who was to betray him. There was two of them. Peter and Judas. But he was referring to Judas. He said, I'm going to wash him, but he's not clean. His head and his hands and his feet and his heart are dirty. And it's like amazing that Jesus knelt before Judas. Isn't it incredible? And he washed his feet, and Judas was not clean. To be clean, you have to be fully immersed and bathed and washed. That was not Judas. And then verse 12 tells us that when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. I love those words, he resumed his place. You know what I picture? I picture, I picture the ascension. I picture Jesus returning to the right hand of the Father ascending into heaven. He resumed his place. He humbled himself. In humility, he got down, but humility is the pathway to glory. It's the key to glory, glory is to, to humble yourself. Jesus resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher. And Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then you, uh, sorry, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus said, I, I have set the example. The example is set. Do you understand what I've done for you? I've washed your feet, now go and do likewise. Humble yourselves.
serve one another. Do as I have done for you. And he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Knowing this stuff is, that's the easy part, isn't it? Knowing it's like half the, not even half the battle. Knowing is the easy part. Jesus says, blessed are you if you do it. If you grab the towel. Blessed are you if you find dirty feet. And you wash them. And it's interesting, blessed, this is actually the pathway of happiness. Humility is the pathway to glory. But it's also the pathway to happiness. You'll be blessed if you do these things. You, you'll be blessed means happy. You'll be, you'll be happy. I, I, I could just ask you: Are you happy this morning? Are you happy? Are you sensing God's blessing? Well, if the answer is no, I I, I would just encourage you: grab a towel and find a way to start serving the Lord. Blessed are you if you do these things. And then he says in verse 18, I'm not, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. This is one of those spots again where I just hate the translation to the English. That you may believe I am he. No, it's that you may believe that I am that I am. Jesus refers to Psalm 41 verse 9. It's a great story that David speaks of in Psalm 41 verse 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. When David wrote that psalm, he was referring to his trusted counselor, a man by the name of Ephitothel. He was a man who had sat at David's table He'd ate David's food. He'd counseled David. David had listened to his counsel. David had trusted him. He was in David's inner circle of friends and David loved him. David, I think, would have done anything for him and when David's son rebelled against him and sought to seize the throne of Jerusalem, his son Absalom, Ahithophel, flipped his loyalties to the, to the son Absalom and he tried to see that David was killed and he gave counsel and instruction to Absalom to destroy David. And when, interesting, when Ahithophel, when, when David was restored to the throne and Absalom was dead, Ahithophel went out and he did this. He, he hung himself, the scripture says. Judas repeated the same pattern. He sat at the table with Jesus, ate the food, took the bread as we're gonna see next week. He had his feet washed by Jesus. He was counted amongst the friends of Jesus and he betrayed him. And we know his end. He too, like it did have followed the pattern. He, he hung himself. Thidifel was a betrayer. Judas was a betrayer. You know who else was? Peter was. Peter denied the Lord. He betrayed him this very night. But you know what I love about Peter? Is that Peter didn't 
get so hung up, didn't hang himself up like Ahithophel and, and Judas about his betrayal. No, he, he looked to Jesus. He took that betrayal and he looked to the one who hung on the cross for him and he, and he put his hope in him and every one of us has that choice to make. Will we, will we look to the one who hung on the cross for us? And so Jesus here speaks of what, what is about to happen. I'm telling you this now, he says, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. I, I know these things, he says. And I'm telling you so that you'll trust that I, that I am who I say that I am. And then verse 20 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. It's an interesting verse. It feels like the whole conversation's kind of, kind of started to flip as, as Jesus says that. And, and, and I think he's saying this. Don't be blown away by what's about to happen. Some stuff's about to go down. <laughs> Some things are going to happen. And don't be blown away about it. No, know this instead that I am sending you out so that others may receive and hear of me. Look at it again. Truly, true do I, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Don't be blown away. I'm telling you these things beforehand. Now go out and teach about me and lead others to me. And I think about this text, you know, and some of the applications that are in here, and to me, there are many, you know. The first one, I think, is this. Jesus may not want you to do any miracles. He may want you to do ordinary things for his glory and his name. Do them. Serve him in the ordinary the other thing I think about is this, is that I, can, I, I cannot fathom Jesus kneeling before me. <laughs> it, it wrecks me. It, it destroys me, honestly, like to consider this kind of love that surpasses knowledge. I, I just began to pray for, for us and for our church, Lord, give us strength to bear the weight of your love. Give us strength to bear the weight of this knowledge. My frame can't comprehend it. And you know, as you, as you consider the word of God, I, I just want to encourage you to pray that. Lord, I can't comprehend your love. Would you give me understanding? Would you give me insight? And then, Lord, I'll do this. I'll, I'll look for a towel. I'll look for the ordinary things where you're calling me to serve and I'll, I'll get down on my knees and I'll serve your purposes and your plans. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come.